Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Matter of a Heart, where we bring you heartfelt, educational, positive stories, all to elevate your spirit. I am your host, Carol Olivia, and always thank you so much for listening to the Matter of the Heart. The topic for the show, health benefits of mindfulness, and we're also going to have Uh, the guest is going to give you a three-minute mindfulness meditation. And the guest is Paul Sugar. Paul Sugar is the founder and director of the Scottsdale Institute for Health and Medicine for Mindfulness. Paul Sugar studied with John Cabot, then creator of the Mindfulness Stress Reduction Program, or MBSR, Uh, Paul has mentored people all over the world for over 25 years and has taught over 108-week mindfulness-based stress reduction programs, as well as mindfulness-based cognition therapy. Paul also practices and he teaches yoga, tai chi, and meditation for over 45 years. Amazing. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here, Carol. Thank, thank you. The health benefits of mindfulness, and I would, you know, and, and um, in certain types of institutes, how would you like to uh, take it away, uh, Paul? Yeah, there are so many different health benefits to mindfulness, and which is the reason why Uh, 40 years ago, John Kabat-Zinn decided to make mindfulness his centerpiece for a stress reduction program. Uh, Mindfulness has been used for many, many things for thousands of years. But John decided, uh, being in healthcare himself, uh, John decided that it would best fit under the umbrella of a stress reduction program. And if you think about how stress is related to our health in so many different ways that it makes perfect sense that he chose mindfulness to uh, be an approach to reducing stress. And so if you're reducing stress, you're also making a big impact on your physical health, your mental health, and your emotional health. And because he was so successful 40 years ago, it has grown exponentially to the point now where it's all over the world. The eight-week MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, is considered the gold standard uh, in the field of medicine and mindfulness. And the reason that it's considered the gold standard is because whenever there's a study done, and there are over 3,000 studies Um, using mindfulness in different healthcare scenarios. Um, And so because there are so many studies uh, showing positive outcomes for physical, mental, and emotional um, repercussions from stress, it has become the gold standard program. Uh, Is it used in schools, uh, Paul? Yes, it's also used in schools. In fact, um, I pioneered mindfulness in the schools back in the mid-1990s. And in partnership with ASU, I did a two-year study 
um, using mindfulness in the school, mindfulness in the schools in the Scottsdale Unified School District. And then it got published, um, oh, I guess late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, we had terrific outcomes for helping the kids to reduce stress, uh, which in turn helped them to be healthier physically, mentally, and emotionally, and which then translated into better attendance, better behavior, better performance in school, on and on and on. And so once that study got published, it caught the eye of people all over the world. And they said, aha, mindfulness would be a great fit for bringing it into the schools. And then gradually over the years, uh, mindfulness in the schools has grown and grown and grown to the place where now it's uh, delivered in many, many schools all over the world. And it's very, very big um, in the United States. And I partner now, I'm actually on the board of directors with a nonprofit organization called Inner Explorer. And we bring mindfulness practices, uh, audio uh, mindfulness practices into the schools. And we're in front of well over a million children right now in the United States. And it's a very simple program. And all the teacher has to do is hit play. And they are short seven, eight minute guided mindfulness uh, practices that the teacher can do with the kids. They do it every day. And we have terrific results. So it's helping the kids uh, be much healthier because it's reducing the stress and it's also elevating their performance in school. Mm. And that's why it's become so popular in the schools. And it's, it's, uh, we focus on pre-K to 12, but there are also mindfulness programs um, for college kids and beyond. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's very, very successful in the schools. That's terrific. Uh, I, I, in other words, basically, I would think less stress, more focusing. If, you, if we focus more, we can learn better. I mean, it'll, it'll connect to, to the mind more. Yeah, in fact, uh, I called my program when I did it back in the 90s, I called it the Attention Academy mm-hmm. because I felt that we were doing a lot of things for the kids. But at the core of it, what we were teaching them to do was to be able to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, of course, is the number one skill needed to be successful in school. Mm-hmm. And I just thought of something else. How does it affect intuition? Oh, it also increases intuition uh, dramatically. Um, intuition, I think, is really um, the result of somebody who's in tune with their body. I, I see the body mm-hmm. as like a big antenna. And, and if the body's tuned, it's very similar to tuning the radio onto a station. And if you're not quite on the station, you're going to get static and you're not going to hear the station very clearly. Mm-hmm. But if you're right on that station, it's going to come in loud and clear. You're going to hear everything very clearly. And, and so that's the importance of um, being connected to your body, once again, which is your antenna, and making sure that your body is tuned. And so the practice of mindfulness really does that because what it does is at its core, it tunes the autonomic nervous system, which is the master switch in the body. And once that Mm -hmm. autonomic nervous system is in tune, then the rest of your antenna gets tuned as well. And once that antenna is working properly, Mm -hmm. intuition becomes natural. 
I think that we're all intuitive. It's just a matter of whether we can get our radio antenna to tune in clearly to the channels. And once they do, then we can all take advantage of our innate intuition. Mm. And then I'm thinking, all right, so we can can become more intuitive. Um, and I'm thinking about the emotions, and, and certainly we're all going, the world is yeah. going through major shifts of energy now. So as far as the emotions go, could it also create more of a focus with the word compassion? Absolutely. And the way that works is this, and, and there have been, of course, many, many studies using mindfulness to um, plug into compassion more deeply, not just compassion, but forgiveness and appreciation and gratitude and love and kindness and and all the qualities that we value as human beings. Um, And the way, if you look closely at these studies and you you drill down to what I call first principles, Mm -hmm. in other words, if you were able to boil it down to its most common denominator, then what we're really looking at is how do we mitigate this unbridled fear that so many people, so many people feel, especially, mm-hmm. especially nowadays? Because what I've found in my practice is that fear is what comes in between me and compassion and kindness and forgiveness and so forth and so on. So thinking about how we can mitigate fear using mindfulness, if, if you flash back to what I mentioned a few moments ago about how mindfulness tunes the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Well, so many of us uh, are getting stuck in that fight or flight mode, in that stress mode, and that's regulated by the autonomic nervous system. And what happens when we get stuck in fight or flight is we disconnect. Mm -hmm. We're hardwired uh, with a coping mechanism that's actually very effective where Hmm. When we go into this fight or flight mode, we actually disconnect from our bodies. And that protects us if we're going to get caught from this, caught by the saber-toothed tiger. It allows us to be disconnected. The problem, the problem comes when the saber-toothed tiger is gone. Well, our perception of the saber-toothed tiger, of course, that doesn't happen today, but we still perceive the tiger in different situations. But when the when the, when the perception of the saber-toothed tiger is gone, a lot of us, many of us, in fact, I would say most of us to some degree or another remain stuck in that fight or flight mode. And so the key there, uh, as far as what we're talking about with compassion is when we get stuck in fight or flight, we're also stuck with the fear because fear is is another coping mechanism that we have that comes up in fight or flight. Fear is very useful in true survival uh, conditions because it motivates us um, to to survive. Without that fear, I don't think we'd be as successful surviving. But once we're out of the danger phase, we want to come out of the fear mode. And so being disconnected, that's where the problem is. Because once we're disconnected, it's as if the body can sense that we're disconnected. And when the body senses that we're disconnected, It figures the danger's still there, so it keeps us in the fight or flight mode. And it's not until we start reconnecting that it begins to sense that, okay, things are getting better now and the danger is starting to abate. 
Well, the most effective way that I know to reconnect to the body is by using mindfulness because the four, the four things that we pay attention to when we're doing the mindfulness practice are the body, the physical, the sensations and the, and the five senses, when I say the body, the thoughts, the emotions, and the breath. And so those, of course, are the four things that we disconnect from, from when we're stuck in the fight or flight mode. So proactively using mindfulness through the medium of attention, um, and we're able to reconnect to the body, thoughts, emotions, and breath. And then it's as if the body senses that, and it says, okay, all clear. And it takes us out of the fight or flight mode, at which point all of that fear that we've been using as a coping mechanism begins to dissipate and we come back to balance, the fear is gone. And once the fear is gone, these, these other qualities like compassion and kindness and love and appreciation and forgiveness and gratitude just bubble up naturally. My experience has been that those qualities are already baked into who we are. They, those are innate qualities that we are able to express naturally when there are no impediments in front of us. And that main impediment is fear and all of the different expressions of fear. And when I say different expressions of fear, I mean things like anger and hostility and anxiety and depression. <clears throat> depression. Those are all iterations, um, consequences of being stuck in that fear mode. And so once that is mitigated and the fear is subsiding, it allows all those natural qualities of compassion and forgiveness and so forth and so on to bubble up into who we are so that we're able to begin naturally to express that compassion and, and love and kindness. Hmm. So I'm curious, Paul, uh, breath, how, as far as the natural, uh, what is the technique is it a deeper breath? Is it more um, that we're more conscious of our breathing? Or um, how do you approach it, Paul? Yeah, in, well, of course, uh, in mindfulness, we approach it a little bit differently than in, let's say, yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, yoga has a, a complete branch uh, called pranayama, which is the science of breath. And there's just hundreds of different breathing exercises that are designed to do a lot of different things within the yogic system. Mm -hmm. in, in mindfulness, we're more concerned with just that, that main focus of the present moment, using the body as the doorway into the present moment. And so what we do with mindfulness is we just breathe naturally in and out through the nose. Mm -hmm. We don't alter the breath at all. And we combine that natural breath with our present moment attention. Mm -hmm. um, and so breathing in and out of the nose is important because all of the studies, uh, all the scientific studies tell us that nose breathing takes us out of fight or flight mm -hmm. and mouth breathing puts us into fight or flight. So with mindfulness, we're looking to come out of fight or flight. So we're breathing in and out through the nose mm -hmm. and we're breathing naturally. Um, and so it becomes very easy in mindfulness meditation to just translate that same experience of meditation uh, breathing into everyday activity. So what we wanna do is create this seamless transition between mindfulness meditation 
and bringing that same experience into all of our daily activities. And so if we're just do if we're just breathing naturally mm-hmm. and, and using our attention, present moment attention to make that connection, then it's very, very simple to uh, transition into all of the activities 24 seven of our lives. So that's how we would do it with mindfulness. The key with mindfulness being that it's all about attention to the present moment, connecting with the body, the body being the doorway into the present moment. Mm. You know, I can especially see it. I mean, I could see it everywhere. It's, it's global. But where people are, are in very close proximity of each other, maybe sports, or a lot of people were, you know, living in a, um, in a home where they, there's a lot of people in a space where it's more condensed. Yes, yes, and so? So I would think mindfulness would help them uh, be more balanced. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it it helps, mindfulness helps in all different kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. It helps when, yeah, when we're uh, in close contact with many people Mm -hmm. uh, during our daily lives. And, you know, here in the West, in America, we live, most of us live a very hectic lifestyle where we're interacting with one another all the time and, and there's a lot of activity. And so we need that anchor into the present moment to allow us to successfully interact mm-hmm. to that level um, with people all day long. And, and by the way, on the other side of the coin, mindfulness also helps us to be comfortable uh, and to be able to interact successfully with being alone which a lot of people have Mm -hmm. a a problem with. A lot of people, in fact, we're discovering that right now with with the COVID, with the Mm -hmm. virus. Uh, Mm -hmm. People are discovering that they have a hard time being quiet and being alone. And so that's one of the other advantages of mindfulness is not only does it help us to successfully navigate interactions in, in intense activity, but it also allows us to successfully navigate being alone and being quiet. Now that's very interesting. So it could it would create much more peace a peacefulness for that individual. Maybe less anxiety or less fear. A lot of the emotional stuff would kind of dissipate. Absolutely, yes. When you get rid of the fear and all the different iterations of the mm-hmm. fear, what takes its place is peace. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's beautiful. And what about some um we covered schools, uh, sports, or prisons, or any other uh, yeah, institutions, sure. Paul? Yeah, well, it's mindfulness is making a lot of inroads in the prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm working with a tech company now right here in Phoenix, Arizona, that is bringing mindfulness practices into prisons. And they also bring uh, mindfulness practices into the various addiction centers all over the state. Mm. And so we're in the process of rolling out mindfulness classes for um, the people who are going through the addiction treatment and Mm. also for the the prisoners in the prison. And there's been, once again, lots of research backing up the efficacy, the success of using mindfulness in the prisons and Mm. using it as a relapse prevention program um, in the addiction field as well. And, And another sector where mindfulness is being used and actually has been used for many, many years is in the military. 
Mm. Uh, the, the military, we didn't really know this until fairly recently, but the military started investigating mindfulness and different meditative and contemplative approaches back in the mid, uh, I'd say the early 60s, actually. And um, mindfulness, along with a lot of other things that they were investigating, they kind of took the cue from, at the time it was called Russia, uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, apparently the Soviet Union was sort of ahead of us when it came to studying the, the effects of meditative and contemplative um, exercises and traditions. And so when we caught wind of that, we figured well, this is something that we need to do as well. In fact, there was a movie out a few years ago with George Clooney called, um, I think it was called Men Staring at Goats. And it's actually a true story about how the military um, started using these, um, these meditative and contemplative um, approaches to enhance um, soldiers and to help them mitigate fear and to help them become uh, more successful as soldiers, to help them avoid um, getting stuck in fight or flight and mm -hmm. being stuck in the fear and so forth and so on. The, the, the glamorous part of Men Goats was, of course, a program that they used, which was remote viewing, where they had heard, heard that in Russia, um, they were getting psychics who were apparently very good, supposedly, at remote viewing, um, which your audience uh, may or may not be familiar with. But basically, it's being able to go inward and see remotely what's going on in another place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was the glamorous part of the movie. But there were other parts of the movie as well that were not, <clears throat> not as glamorous and just things like the mindfulness and getting centered and focused and being able to be in the present moment and so forth and so on. Uh, and as I say, the military hid these things for many, many, many years and it didn't really come out to maybe 10, 15 years ago. And, and then George Clooney decided to do that movie, Men Who which I recommend. It's a real mm -hmm. fun movie, particularly for people who are interested in these things. Mm. So I, be um, I believe they called it, uh, they called their program in the mm -hmm. military back there, they called it Stargate. Oh. So if your listeners want to Google Stargate in mm -hmm. the military, you, you can start investigating what actually happened uh, with them, uh, tracing it back into the 60s and all the way up into the present day. Mm hmm. So, in other words, it's, they're, they're using it today as well. I mean, they're using it. I, they, I think they've. Well, if they're using it, they're not telling us. Okay. Um, supposedly, the Stargate program was disbanded. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that they're using mindfulness because I have friends who are teaching mindfulness to soldiers in the military. Um, oh, oh, but wow. it's, it's not, it's not mm -hmm. like the remote viewing kind of stuff. It's All just right. it's the evidence-based stuff that we see in science. And, and that's pretty much what the military is doing right now. If they're doing that other stuff with remote viewing mm -hmm. and, and, and psychic qualities and so forth and so on, they're certainly not broadcasting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard of that though with the remote. Yeah. I find that fascinating. I mean, yeah, it is very fascinating. Right? You know, it's yeah, very fascinating. Wow. In fact, I was sort of involved in that program on the periphery mm -hmm. uh, back in the early 70s for a short period of time. Um, 
but then I, I kind of lost interest in it and, and uh, walked away from it. But I, I learned enough being involved with it, just that little bit to, to know what they were doing. And, and it was very interesting stuff, no doubt about it. Mm. Well, it shows the expansion of what we can do. Yes, absolutely. It, it's you know? really, it, it plugs into that whole field of human potential, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which, which really did start in the 60s. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I, would, I would recommend a book to your listeners called The Men on Magic Carpets, oh. uh, Sur- Searching for the Superhuman Sports Star by Ed Hawkins. And he traces the history of all of this stuff that I've been talking about. He focuses it on sports because mm-hmm. he's, a, he's basically a sports reporter over in England, but he became fascinated with the field of human potential. And so he wrote a fantastic book, once again, The Men on Magic Carpets uh, by Ed Hawkins, Searching for the Superhuman Sports Star. But it, it's broad-based and it goes much more than just into sports, but it focuses in on a lot of the sports people that we've all heard of and how they use these things. So very, very interesting. Mm. I'm going to look that up myself. No, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Great read. I couldn't put it down. I just mm. couldn't put it down. Mm. Yeah. How about giving us a couple of stories, uh, uh, Paul? Because this, this is such a healing, uh, oh, it's such a healing art and science form. A couple of stories that you'd like to share um, of, you know, of some people who have gone through mindfulness. Maybe they came with some really uh, traumatic situations, you know, how it shifted their energy. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, there are so many, you know, I, as, as you mentioned in the beginning, I've been practicing and teaching this for over 45 years now. And, um, in the past 25 years or so, um, here in the Phoenix area with using that mindfulness based stress reduction program, and in fact, uh, on my website, you'll, you'll see uh, comments that people have made uh, talking about the breakthroughs that they've made. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you it's, they're just, it's just phenomenal, the transformations that people go through when they go through the, go through the course and when they practice on a regular basis and, and, and take it seriously and make it part of their lifestyle um, all kinds of improvements physically, mentally, and emotionally. But I'll steer your, your, your listeners to my website and click on testimonials, and it takes you to the Google Plus page where there's well over 50 people talking in detail about how it's changed their lives, uh, how they're no longer anxious or fearful or depressed, um, how their... their um, see what else there are some of the more common ones um, how it's helped their heart situation a real common one is lowering their blood pressure and leveling out their cholesterol um, their ability to focus and pay attention uh, and get their monkey mind under control so they're not constantly you know thinking of a, a thousand things every minute where mm-hmm. they can slow that down and just focus really well. So all of those physical, mental, and emotional benefits that we talked about using mindfulness can be seen on those testimonials uh, on my website. Mm. And it's very, very common. And, you know, 
those are just the ones who uh, are willing to go public with it. Many, 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 I'd say most people that go through the class talk um, at length in that last class about the tremendous benefits that they've gotten from doing the practice and going through that eight-week program. Mm, that's beautiful, really beautiful. Um, would you like to give us a three-minute or three-and-a-half-minute, whatever you want, a mindfulness <laughs> meditation, uh, Paul? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's do that. So um, if you're sitting down, uh, then just put yourself in a comfortable position and lining up the, the head, the neck, and the spine, and the shoulders are back. And uh, if you're laying down, then the, that's fine, too, or even standing that's fine too. Um, and then let's start by bringing our attention to quality of alert attention, because mindfulness is all about alert attention. And then we also want to embody that sense of self-acceptance, just accepting who we are in this moment, which is really a part and parcel of the whole experience of compassion. Compassion starts with self-compassion. And self-acceptance is really self-compassion. So just embracing and embodying that self-compassion and acceptance, and then bringing our attention uh, to the body, just noticing the various physical sensations in your body as you move your attention throughout the different parts of the body. I call it taking inventory, noticing uh, feet, arms in any particular order. It doesn't have to be in any order, just any particular order. So let's spend a few moments just noticing your physical sensations. Maybe noticing your thoughts and your emotions too. fully present with the body, noticing those five senses, noticing any thoughts or emotions, taking inventory of what's present with your body right now, breathing naturally, and then creating a sense of the body as a whole. And everybody does this a little bit differently. And so just using your creativity or imagination and just sensing the entire body. So opening up your field of attention so it includes the entire body, sensing the body, sensing the energy from the body. Body as a whole fully present with that sense of the entire body. And then taking that sense of the body and combining it with the breath. Once again, everybody's gonna do this a little bit differently. And so combining the nose breath, breathing naturally through the nose, combining that experience of the breath with that sense of the body as a whole. 
combining breath and body, using your creativity and imagination to create that experience for you. Fully present with your breath and your body combined. Breathing the body. Breathing the body. And then if your eyes are closed, just opening them now. I like to finish each meditation um, with my eyes open and so that I get a sense of uh, creating this seamless transition between the meditation and bringing that same meditative experience into our daily activity. So eyes are open as we continue to meditate, combining the breath and the body, creating that seamless transition into our everyday activity. And now you are present. And there it is. Yeah, well, that's beautiful, Paul. Thank you. You're very welcome, Carol. Really, thank you so much. You have such a passion for uh, for mindfulness, serving mankind, and um, you just keep expanding it. Yes, it's. Uh, uh, I love doing it, and you're right. It is my passion. Unbelievable, really. And you keep expanding it. You know. Yes, absolutely. Just mentioning before where you're going to. Yeah. Wow, wonderful. Thank you very, very much, Paul Sugar. Thank you. Very, very, very welcome, Carol. And that was Paul Sugar. He is the founder and director of the Scottsdale Institute for Health and Medicine for Mindfulness. Um, and I'm Carol Olivia, and you've been listening to The Matter of the Heart. And we always thank you. And thank you, Paul, again. Thank you.